the thing that I've seen change the most and, and absolutely most rapidly over the last two years since we've been working remotely uh, is the fact that the one size does not fit all. Um, which we knew already before, but it's been really emphasized over the past, let's say, five years and then extremely emphasized over the last two years. Because as a leader, you can no longer rely on saying that, oh, but we offer training or we offer uh, development courses or we offer so and so and believe that that's going to be suitable for everybody. So what you really have to do as a leader now, and you really have to work harder in getting to know your employees and getting to know what it is that actually ticks their boxes in terms of engagement and, and, and if it is development, if that's what they want to do. Hi all, welcome to yet another episode of Hacking HR Podcast. Interestingly, Sarah and I were having a conversation and what we realized is that the uncertainty of the business the work culture and the ever-changing people behavior has made HR and business leaders stop and ponder on what to prioritize to adapt to the evolving talent needs. So Sarah and I thought, how about having a conversation around is talent engagement seeing any disruptions in people's strategies uh, in the current situation or the way forward? Um, so as I mentioned, we are talking today to Sarah Malson. Uh, she has close to two decades of experience in leading human resources in different industries. How are you, Sarah? It's so glad to have you with us here for the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Natasha. I'm, uh, it sounded really weird when you said almost two decades. I feel really old now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's maybe, true. It's true. So matured in I am so mature aspect. for a 15-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's true. I've uh, I have uh, almost two decades of uh, of working in HR, um, and it's the best job in the world there is to have. So I mean, it's uh, I'm I'm still enjoying it. Let's put it like that. Super, super, super. So on that note, uh, and, and I think the interesting bit of this conversation is going to be your experience across different industries. So mm -hmm. given that as the background, how have you seen talent engagement now uh, changing its uh, strategy and also the priorities in the boardroom table for the leaders um, to see how they can continue to derive the business outcomes but at the same time they're able to engage the talent uh, to the aspect that there is personal uh, satisfaction and there's also the overall mm. career satisfaction uh, that people are facing uh, mm. in the organization. Right. So I think that the, the thing that I've seen change the most and, and absolutely most rapidly over the last two years since we've been working remotely uh, is the fact that the one size does not fit all, um, which we knew already before, but it's been really emphasized over the past, let's say, five years and then extremely emphasized over the last two years, because as a leader, you can no longer rely on saying that, oh, but we offer training or we offer uh, development courses or we offer so-and-so and believe that that's going to be suitable for everybody. So what you really have to do as a leader now, and you really have to work harder in getting to know your employees uh, and getting to know what it is that actually ticks their boxes in terms of engagement and, and, and if it is development, if that's what they want to do. But it actually also goes both ways, uh, which is also something that I've seen a lot clearer now. 
Um, you can't, as an employee, neither rely on your manager to magically know what's going to be suitable for you and what it is that ticks your boxes and what it is that keeps you engaged and motivated at your job. So there's a, there's a more open, I would say, two-way conversation than, than I've seen before. Uh, and at the same time, it puts more pressure and more responsibility, actually, on, on both sides of the spectrum. So both the employee, but also the employer or the leader in this case. Uh, so that's something that I've seen have changed quite a lot. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. So yeah. um, interestingly, Sarah, I'm going to touch upon some uh, not so talked about uh, and the dress up uh, pieces in the talent engagement space mm -hmm. uh, for next uh, few minutes. So uh, I would love to know, uh, usually when it came to talent engagement initially or in the earlier days, it was all about doing the ESAT service or the employee engagement service, mm -hmm. uh, come up with certain um, findings from those. Uh, some would take the next step and do the focus group discussions take back the key takeaways, and then at the end of the year, come up with new announcements and voila, uh, the survey gave us XYZ results, and mostly it was administrative. So here's yeah. the change that we're announcing in the organization. How do you see now um, HR maturing and business leaders maturing in this whole talent engagement piece when it comes to analytics? And what are some, uh, some kind of matrices that now they are looking at, which can in fact give them insights of how the engagement is impacting the business results directly or indirectly? Okay, so if I start with how do I see that uh, that people are doing it differently or leaders are doing it differently today and, and including HR then because we are often the ones that are in charge of these types of surveys. I still think that a survey as such is not necessarily a bad thing. It depends on what you do with it, okay? so. Uh, I mean, if you just want to follow every every new thing that comes around, sure, that's also if that's your thing, then do that. But the survey as such is not the issue. It is what you do with the actual results that's the issue. Um, and I'm going to go back to to what I said uh, before about talent engagement in total. It it has to do with the fact that you as a leader need to sit down with your team and talk to them about the specific feedback that they gave. Be that in a survey or be that in, in whatever format that you collect this type of feedback, but make sure that you understand as a leader, what do you mean, Sarah, when you talk about this and this in, in, in your specific feedback? Or how would you like to be uh, led uh, from, from myself, from a leadership perspective? But then also very much have in mind as a leader that we're not asking you guys to be supermen or superwomen. You can't. You can't change your entire personality to suit everybody on your team. You also have to be quite open and honest about who am I and what do I bring to the table? What type of leadership style do I have? And if that is not suited for certain individuals on your team, then maybe you're just not the right match for each other. Saying that, that does not automatically give you like a free card to act like a complete jerk when you're a leader or whatever or an employee and just say that well this is who I am and I'm not going to change no that that's just immature that's a five-year-old that can do that um but it has to do with getting to know each other on a little bit more deeper level and you can't really as a leader do that unless you know yourself so so the two things that I would emphasize here is that number one as a leader make sure that you understand what you bring to the table, what kind of leader are you, what type of leadership do you um, pursue, 
in, uh, in, in your team. That's one thing. And then the other thing, then try to understand on an individual basis and on a team basis, what does that actually mean then to your team? What is it that you have to do to make sure that you get the most out of each of them, uh, both as individuals, but also most and foremost as a team? Uh, so those are those are the two kind of like main takeaways on that one. Um, and then your second part of the question was around KPI. So how do we actually measure? Um, how can you measure the results? It's your question how you measure the results from a business perspective. So if you have engaged people or not engaged people. Well, I mean, the easiest thing in the book is to just measure your turnover. Uh, but it also has to do with productivity. It, I mean, it's, it's well known and scientifically proven over and over again that if you're not engaged uh, in whatever that means for you as an individual at your job, you're not going to perform at your best. And you can't afford as a company to have 80% of your employees going around performing at 80% of their capacity. It's a competitive world out there. And as a company, you need to survive. And that means that you have to make sure that you get the most out of your employees. That does not mean bleed them dry because then they're not gonna come back and work for you the next day. But it means making sure that you have a respectful relationship with your employees that is based on the understanding that I want you here, I need you here, but I also pay you for a service. You don't owe me your blood. You don't owe me your firstborn child, okay? It's a job. Uh, but when you're here, I expect your loyalty. And this is what you can expect from me as your leader. Open and honest. <laughs> awesome. And I think that's where a lot of leaders and organizations miss the bus. Um, and and which brings me to the second buzzword in the industry right now for the metrics is ENPS. So earlier it was customer net promoter score. And now suddenly everybody's talking about employee net promoter score. And uh, they're saying this is the next level after the ESAT. And that's how the organizations mature. Uh, do you still see that it makes any difference, uh, whether it's an ESAT matrix or it's a, a ENPS matrix? Is it really about what framework of service you're using or should the HR leaders move beyond these jargons and uh, buzzwords and, and look for something more meaningful internally? And if it's the latter part, then your experience, uh, I would love to hear in terms of what is it that they can do to look for things internally rather than following the buzzwords. Right. So I think that now I'm going to sound like I truly have two decades of experience because <laughs> I'm I sound old now. But um, so for me, again, if you want to uh, really get something out of your employees in the sense of having them perform at their best, right? Um, it doesn't really matter what KPI you use, or it doesn't matter to me what it is that you uh, or how you measure or what what is the latest trend that you use that's not the point the point is that you're consistent and that you actually do something with the results that you get out and of course your strategy of the action plan uh, you know that comes with the results will differ depending on what metrics you choose to actually use right so if you're using uh, employee net promotion score, if you're using an engagement survey, or if you're using um, turnover as your example, or if you're using productivity, of course, as long as you stay consistent, but your action plan will look slightly different depending on what it is that, that you decide to measure. Um, but then on the other hand, I'm also thinking like this, 
as long as you do something, that's a hell of a lot better than than just sitting back and and thinking that you know being old old school and thinking that uh, all of the all of our talents will just rush to come work for our specific company because we are the greatest in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's more about the attitude around why are you measuring uh, and then be consistent with the way that you measure so that you can actually start comparing results. Otherwise, you're comparing a whole fruit salad. You know, one one year it's a banana, second year it's an apple, and then it's really difficult to come, come to any sort of conclusion. Um, and then make sure that you actually do something with the results that you get out and explain to your people the reason why I ask you these questions and the reason why we measure it in this way is blah, blah, blah. And so therefore, this is the result that we got. And this is then the action plan that we put in place to, to remedy whatever it is that you found in, in the survey that you conducted, right? And if that is focus groups or if that is, you know, it might be impossible to have focus groups if you have tens of thousands of employees. And it might be ridiculous to send out a survey if you have 150 employees. So, I mean, that needs to go with your own culture and your own settings. So I guess what I'm saying is as an HR professional, don't be afraid to come up with an idea that is tailored to your specific needs and don't just go with what everybody else is doing. I so second this to, uh, to whatever you said just now. Um, and, and, and this also brings me to another aspect, I think again, uh, quite challenging, but then less spoken in the networks the unconscious bias yeah. and that unconscious bias you see mostly drive driven on the leadership level which starts gets cascading across levels and then of course i see what i've seen and experienced so far uh, especially with the hr fraternity instead of doing or making efforts to let go of these unconscious biases at every level they themselves become a victim of it um, or the pro uh, uh, the proposer of it and as a result of which uh, there's so much of chaos in the organization that the talent, which is the impacted uh, uh, persona, they just sit and wonder what's happening. Am I at the mm. right place? Uh, mm. Does it even really matter if I, if I voice it out? Uh, at the end of the day, either I'll be told to shut up or I'll be just shown the door or it mm. does not mm. fall on the deaf ears. So given that as the background, how do you see uh, leaders and uh, business leaders and HR leaders collaborating together to move one step forward forward uh, of, of uh, removing the unconscious bias. I'm not saying it's going to be out 100%, but at least even if it's, it is 20%, 30% as a milestone. Mm. I think it, it, it's, it's a good direction that they're headed in. So again, I would love to hear your experience around this. Right. So, so let me start off with what you're saying that I don't think that it's possible, humanly possible to remove all unconscious bias because we're as a species, I mean, that's kind of how we survive and yeah, uh, yeah. have to learn everything anew every day. So, I mean, that's just a fact. And for uh, individuals to say that I have no unconscious bias, it's just BS. Okay. So let's just start off with that one as the, as the drawing. Totally. Uh, yeah. uh, then I think that Again, you have to decide as a company, what type of unconscious bias do you believe that you have present in your, in your current organization? Um, and why is it important for you to do something about it? Because otherwise you're gonna end up again with a poster child saying, oh, diversity and inclusion is super important to us and we care about 
you know, female leaders, let's just put that as an example, or uh, let's just have that female leaders as an example. Okay. Uh, and then you have a female leader that you put as your poster girl for this. And that's the only one that you talk about. But whenever you look at your talent management processes or succession plans, the people that you hire and recruit, uh, the way that you talk about your products, the way that you talk about your organization, none of that shines through. So it becomes a poster girl and that's about it, right? Um, then if you really are not interested in changing as an organization, then just stop putting poster girls up, you know, then just stop, right? So for yeah. me, about figure out what type of unconscious bias you might have in your organization. Number two, is it important for you to do something about that? And why is that important? And it can only be important, not because you want to be a great person. It will only be important to the business if it has some sort of relation to money. Okay, we all know that a diverse team produces much more than a non-diverse team. But then show that as an HR professional to your leaders if they don't already believe in that. And once you have that straight, so you have your what is it that I'm trying to solve and why am I trying to solve that? Then you can start building your strategy around it. So it's a little bit back to what we said before. There is no one size fits all. And it totally depends on what it is that you're trying to accomplish as an organization. And the, the why is super important when we talk about unconscious bias. Otherwise, you can never tackle it. If I don't believe that it's important to tackle whatever it is that I, that I have in my unconscious bias, I'm never going to do it. You're only human. I mean, we're back to having a, a view of our managers as super women or super men. I mean, that, that's just not who they are. And then we have to make sure that you build a framework and a structure around it that caters to support them in whatever decisions that they have to make. So if we go back again to, we want to have more female leaders, let's say in, in our organization. Okay. And we want to tackle that because we have a clear reason why that is important. And why is it important? Not only because we want to be a nice, uh, from a nice employer branding perspective, but why is it important from a money perspective, right? We have all of that in place. Then you need to make sure, okay, if I look at our employee journey, where can I see that we need to maybe cater for helping and supporting so we don't find ourselves having unconscious bias? And then you have to make sure that you have frameworks around that. So that could be, for instance, to, to speak very plainly and give you a concrete example. Okay, when you're hiring people, do you make sure that all of your leaders and recruiting managers and HR staff understand what it is to have an interview that is based on competence and not on what you see in front of you, maybe? And everybody's going to say, absolutely, yes, Sarah, we've had that for 15 years, blah, 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 blah. Then why are you even talking about this? Then it shouldn't even be a problem. You should then be hiring 50 50 um, female leaders, right? But you're not. So obviously something is happening there. So just make sure to go through each of the steps in the employee experience and look at it from an unconscious bias perspective and think, okay, what can I do here to support, not shame, but support the people who are in these processes to make sure that we hire more female leaders if that is your ultimate goal? Does that make sense? I feel like I was ranting a little bit. But... 
no, uh, it was a great it's an important story. topic yeah. to me that's why <laughs> absolutely and and it is becoming a topic and i think you've really touched upon some key insights and and some key focus areas where hr and business leaders have been missing the bus and and just focusing on the inconsequential pieces of the puzzle uh, so as we're getting closer to the end of the podcast, uh, my last question for you, uh, we, we've touched upon the leadership uh, essence in, in different uh, ways uh, across our uh, uh, conversation. So mm -hmm. if I were to bring it together for you, uh, where do you see the leadership changing its gears uh, in talent engagement? Uh, overall and in the uh, organization work culture, considering that some of them have actually started recognizing that it's okay to be vulnerable uh, publicly in the organization rather than keeping it to themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've also seen trends coming in where a lot of business folks are moving to HR uh, and HR folks moving into business. So right. we're seeing those transitions across happening as well. So uh, given all these as the uh, current trends that are uh, happening globally, uh, what are some of your recommendations for the leadership, uh, both for business and HR, uh, to see how they are moving uh, forward more uh, uh, evolved and authentic uh, in the whole talent engagement uh, strategy and the uh, initiatives that they're looking at to bring on board? Right. So I think you're back to, uh, this is not an easy thing to solve because it has to do with the culture of the organization, but it also very much has to do, uh, and, and mind you now that I come from the psychology portion of HR, so that's my absolute and keen interest, but I also truly believe that every single person that comes to, to work also brings you know, their own authentic self with them. Some of us have been taught from a very young age to that your authentic self is not good enough. Uh, so you play a persona uh, at work. Uh, and I see that a lot, and, and especially in leadership positions. Um, and then I find it super difficult to, uh, if you don't kind of recognize that as a leader, and if you don't know yourself well enough and are strong enough in yourself to be able to then maybe ask the right questions and or or maybe challenge the right things in an organization. Um, as an organization, again, we're back to the poster girl uh, syndrome. I'm gonna start calling it that now. But then you just simply say something that sounds really good, but you're never going to move the needle. Um, and that is not something that you just change overnight. And I wish I had a quick fix for that, but I don't. It's it's about making sure that you stick to from an HR perspective a strategy that allows your leaders to continuously evolve both in their leadership skills, but also in their knowing themselves type of skills. You know, who, who am I really as a leader and why am I like that? And some of those things that you discover uh, about yourself might not always be nice, you know, but it's something that you have to deal with. And it's something that you have to take control over if you are to lead an engaged and motivate other human beings. We are tailored as a species to recognize when people are lying. And I mean, if you are not being authentic as a leader, it doesn't matter what, you, what comes out of your mouth, right? I mean, we've all been in that situation where there's 
clearly a message that's being trickled down from further up in the organization. And the people and the manager is actually verbalizing it, doesn't believe in the message. It's quite clear to the team that are listening that, okay, this is not going to happen. And I don't believe in that change either. So how do you get around that? Well, again, it's not a quick fix. It's not something that you just do overnight, but you have to continuously work with your leaders as the sort of figures uh, in this, right? Um, To be authentic, uh, to communicate in an authentic way without losing themselves along the way uh, or without, you know, constantly having their heart on their sleeves. Um, So it's not an easy question to to answer in that sense, but it takes um, courage, it takes commitment, and it takes making sure that you that you continuously work on it as an HR professional. That's that's my belief. Awesome, Sarah. That was amazing end to our podcast. Thank you so much for sharing all those insights and spending time with us on this podcast today. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR podcast and see you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.